Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, big tech is in the news as government officials left and right threaten to censor the internet and Facebook employees petition against the company's political monoculture. This is the Influence Watch podcast. This week, social media companies have been on the political hot seat. President Trump made headlines for threatening Google with some sort of government action in retaliation for what the president claims, and Google denies, is partisan manipulation of search results to make the president look bad. From the other side of the aisle, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden sent a letter recommending that Twitter categorically censor certain views while reminding them that they had a nice platform and it would be a shame if anything happened to that. Facebook employees, meanwhile, are dissenting from what they call a, quote, political monoculture that's intolerant of different views, close quote. They launched an internal advocacy faction to push for political diversity, which itself provoked retaliatory complaints from their colleagues who claim that the group itself is offensive to minorities. These stories underline a growing debate over the power of major tech companies, specifically the social media platforms YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, the search engine Google, and the content distribution networks owned by Apple and Alphabet, which of course is the parent company of Google and YouTube. Conservatives, often with more evidence than the president's Twitter feed supplied, have suspected that the Silicon Valley giants target speech outside the left and lefter political spectrum of greater San Francisco. A few old-line anti-corporate left liberals, prominently including billionaire financial trader George Soros, have also questioned the power of the tech companies and whether that means they should be broken up as monopolies. Well, Mike, uh, a slew of tech controversies this week. Why don't we start with the feud between the president uh, and Google? So uh, on Tuesday, the president of the United States, as is his want, woke up and got on Twitter. And his uh, rant that day targeted Google, uh, and the president accused, based on uh, a methodologically extremely suspect survey by a right-wing uh, by a right-wing blog outlet, uh, stating you know claimed that. Google was somehow politically manipulating uh, for partisan ends the uh, the results when you searched for, quote, Trump news, uh, that they were putting all the bad news uh, up front and they were suppressing the good news and that it was all coming from, you know, left-wing sources or mainstream media sources. Uh, Google naturally uh, denies outright that they do any sort of manipulation. Uh, the... The way that Google have said that their algorithm works, the the mathematical program that spits out whatever you did, whatever you get when you search, is based on the one of the things that counts is the number of links that go to and from a certain page, and also how long it's been on the internet. Now, obviously, for something like the New York Times, the New York Times gets lots of links, and it's been on the internet at nytimes.com since probably the 90s, kind of the beginning of the internet. The Google begins in 98. They've probably been around for about the same amount of time. Uh, this improves its search engine optimization, its quote-unquote page rank, and this makes it look, look better to Google, to Google's algorithm. 
than, you know, a conservative blog that started a year ago. Um, so that said, Google's algorithm is a, is, has been described as a black box that only Google, obviously only Google knows how the Google algorithm actually works. Uh, otherwise you could just reproduce it. Sure. Well, the, uh, uh, on the other hand, of course, uh, I think any conservative has, has heard or seen himself countless unusual things, or at least things that seem to be unusual. I, I can remember, for instance, some of the, uh, one of my favorites was during the last election, uh, seeing people point out how searches related to Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, I mean, if you see that the, the autocomplete seemed to be unusual mm -hmm. because things like Hillary Clinton criminal probably were being searched for a great deal, whether or not that's fair and the rest, but they certainly were, and they, they didn't seem to be autocompletes for, th for things like that. But I suppose part of that you, you, you raise, though, just in uh, what, what little we do know about the algorithm, you raise uh, uh, an issue. If, if I wanted to be as charitable toward Google as possible, I could say, well, look, they have set up an algorithm that's going to, uh, that's going to privilege, uh, to use a good left-wing word, it's going to privilege uh, large uh, mainstream media sources. But of course, a second's reflection tells anybody, hmm, well, if we're going to privilege mainstream media sources, well, there the, may the, be some but then the, slant But then there. the question, I mean, okay, yeah, sure, all right, so that means the New York Times is going to look good, that CNN's going to look good, that NBC News is going to look good. But one, it also means the Wall Street Journal is going to look good. It also means that uh, Fox News is going to look reasonable, um, and the other question is: Okay, if they're not going, to, if they're not going to use these longstanding, uh, you know, whether you know your your links and your how long your uh, how long your source has been on on the web, uh, and kind of what else are they supposed to use? And again, there have been you know there have been criticisms of the Google algorithm, and there are those kind of weird. Weird, co weird coincidences, but again, it's that kind of, to me, I think before you say that, aha, they are politically manipulating, you need a little bit more evidence. Well, I, I, I agree. It's, a, it's a, a tricky question. The And of course, in the case of Facebook, where conservatives have lots of complaints about Facebook, um, at least part of the decline in uh, Facebook passing along uh, uh, conservative news sources or or news comment, you know, pundits. Mm. Uh, part of the issue there is that Facebook, in its algorithm, seems to have greatly downplayed news sources of all kinds in favor of more personal type. So in other right, words, you're, right, yeah. you're going to see more of Aunt Sally's Facebook right, page and less of the Daily Caller the, yeah, or Ben news, Shapiro or Fox or, News or MSNBC, regardless of their yeah. uh, of their political outlook, which is, again, Facebook's decision about how, you know, how Facebook is just going to operate. Yeah. So it's, uh, th there aren't easy answers to some of this. Well, okay, let's, let's uh, pick a, another thing, which I don't think counts as a feud, but rather as veiled threats. Uh, and that would be Senator Wyden uh, versus Twitter. Tell us a bit so, more about that. And this one's a real shame, uh, if you're in favor of free speech, because of, the Dem of the Democrats in the, in the U.S. Senate. Ron Wyden has probably been one of the more 
committed to free speech on the internet. He's one of the authors of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which basically says that if you are a platform like a Facebook, a Twitter, a YouTube, a, uh, and other people post stuff on your platform, you aren't liable for anything stupid that they said. Yeah, you've simply created a forum. Yeah, you've, you've, you've created a, a public square. You've, you've created, created a new public yeah, square. you've created, it's, I mean, it's like if you opened a bar. And if I, if I open a bar and there's a guy sitting on the left end of the sitting on the left end of the bar saying that you know John McCain was a Russian spy, and I got a I got a guy sitting on the right end of the bar who's saying that Hillary Clinton should go to prison for 50 years for murdering Vince Foster, regardless of the fact that both of what they're saying is completely out of completely ludicrous, I'm not liable as the barkeep for what they're saying. You can't sue me for libel. Uh, but apparently, Wyden has evolved in his thinking. Uh, grown, please, grown, grown. grown. Grown in office, evolved in his thinking, uh, because this week it came out that he had sent a fairly threatening letter to Twitter saying that if Twitter didn't censor basically conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, if you read the, if you read the text of the letter, it's quite clear that he's referring to conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and Jones's conspiracy theory that somehow the Sandy Hook and Parkland massacres were staged, that they didn't actually happen, which is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and then probably because the person writing it was like, well, we can't make it too obvious that we're just talking about Alex Jones. Let's also throw in Holocaust deniers uh, as people who should be who should be banned. And the underlying part of the letter was, if you don't ban these people, someone, probably not me, I swear, but someone will come and try to regulate you. Yes, so the precisely the nice little platform you've got here, be a shame if right. anything happens. Right, be a, be a shame if, if, you know, walk, walking in, you know, you've, you know may, I mean, Wyden maybe is kind of the nice guy, you know, the, the nice guy uh, with the legitimate front group for the mob, you know, who walks in with the, with, uh, you know, Kamala. Vinny. Yeah, with Vinny, with Vinny, you know, pick your, pick your liberal senator who is Vinny in this analogy, you know. <laughs> With the, un the underlying problem of the underlying, you know, threat, if you don't do what I want, bad things will happen to you. <laughs> yeah. And by, by the way, I, I had, I confess I was fascinated because I realized, where did that ever, I thought it came from a movie, but uh, apparently no one is quite certain, although it looks like the earliest known usage was a Monty Python skit. Uh, so... Uh, that was that was intriguing. Oh, so it's the English army that's that's I... doing threats, not uh, <laughs> not the uh, Omerta folks. Um, well, uh, Wyden. Speaking of Wyden and the regulation, uh, we can digress for a moment, maybe to talk. You know, he's threatening new laws, right? But let's take he a second. And, he and Trump are threatening new censorship laws because under current law, including Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, authored by Wyden before he decided to apparently evolve in his thinking, uh, the, the tech companies have basically free reign over what goes on, on their what goes on in their platforms. Go back to my analogy of the barkeep. They own the bar. If they think the two guys that I described earlier are being drunk and disorderly, they can throw them out. You can be kicked off the platform. You can be denied access to it. Uh, it is a private company. It is a private. It is a private forum for free expression, like a bar. But if you're being disorderly in the eyes of the bartender or in the eyes of the bar management, they can throw you out. Uh, and also point out again, there's no 
they can be, there's no rule stating that they have to be neutral in the application. You know, that they have to throw both guys out. They can just throw the crazy right wing guy out or theoretically just throw the crazy left wing guy out. Um, you know, if Google decides, like the New York Times, that it wants to be a left wing corporate publisher, well, it has free press rights. Corporations are people, my friend, as a wise man once said. Uh, so if Alphabet Incorporated, like the New York Times Company, wants to, uh, you know, become a espouser of left-wing views, and that's what it decides to make its corporate identity under current law, and probably, I would say, under the First Amendment, it has every right to do so. But I have heard some people argue, though, that the um, uh, that if they become uh, vigorous policers of the content on their platform, then they shouldn't be able to have the current thing right. widened the sec- set the, up. The where, Section 230 of the Communications yeah. Decency Act, which says that they're not responsible for what yeah, they publish. If the, a neutral platform is not responsible, but if you're not really neutral, if you're very regularly policing and you're policing in a particular direction that would, and whatnot. I mean, certainly that would be where a regulator who is interested in causing trouble would go, look, what point do you lose Section 230 protection? Uh, as just a platform as opposed to a, obviously, if the New York Times libels someone, the New York Times Corporation can be sued for it. Uh, obviously, libel has a very strict legal standard, and I would say it should not budge. President Trump says it should be very, very wide. <laughs> um, the so, so, yeah, the question at which point you stop being a platform and which point you start being more like the New York Times company uh, would be one that would have to be decided by regulators and by courts. Yeah. And uh, for our campaign finance uh, reform friends, I want to quickly just remind that isn't it nice and convenient that no campaign finance reform restrictions on speech apply to I mean, the New I, York Times if, Corporation? If I, if I were a cynic, I would suggest that the New York Times Corporation is interested in making sure that other corporations can't speak on political issues in order to maintain its monopoly on speaking on political issues. <laughs> yes, yes, but that's a whole note. We should do a whole show on the on the campaign finance reform horrors, but uh, but for now we'll stick to the to the high tech free speech fight. So the next fight we have to get to this week is Facebook's fight with itself. Tell us a bit more about that. So. We've we've seen before a couple, you know, on these internal. Uh, Silicon Valley message, you know, internal company message boards, the right wing views being sort of repressed. Um, obviously, the most famous example was the guy at Google who wrote that uh, wrote that piece uh, on uh, differences between men and women. That was highly con- it was highly yeah, controversial. James yeah, James Damore mm-hmm. is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly con- highly controversial. I won't say whether I won't say whether it was reasonable or not so reasonable. Uh, but either, but however it went, he ended up being driven out of the company. Uh, now this week at Facebook, we find out that a hundred or so, the, the New York Times reported up to a hundred, uh, employees of Facebook in protest of what they call, uh, a stifling or what they call uh, a political monoculture, uh, which they find, see as stifling and, um, creating blind spots in the company's approach and in their own uh, ability to work, uh, they formed a net, They formed in one of these internal message groups, uh, which they're calling Facebookers for Political Diversity. 
Um, and they want to advocate for more tolerance and understanding of mainstream right of center viewpoints. Well, that's, uh, that is a fascinating uh, development. So monoculture obviously would be in contrast to multiculturalism, which if you asked any PR flack for uh, Facebook, I am quite sure they would preen. In I, fact, I, I bet you there are people with multicultural uh, I mean, it is, in it their is, title it is, at the company. It is interesting. Again, I, I one of the, you know, why I'm a squishy, squishy person uh, you know, I don't think the left is entirely wrong about how diversity bringing in more perspectives causes you to avoid making mis avoid making cultural mistakes that you maybe don't intend. Um, the but a quick example being precisely the Google thing of well, we'll set this so that it uses mainstream media sources, and if somebody were there to say you may have issues with that, <laughs> you could you could certainly say that uh, the. But again, the not uh, not taking that lesson from your own your own ideology and one of the parts of your ideology that maybe has a kernel of a kernel of reasonableness, and then to say, oh, but when it comes to again mainstream political views and whether you like it or not, sixty-two million people voted for President Trump. Uh, that is a you know there were one hundred and twenty-five some odd one hundred twenty-six hundred twenty-seven million votes cast. So that's slightly less than half. You know, if you're going to say that slightly less than half of the country isn't in some way mainstream, you're ruling out a great deal of the people. You're probably ruling out some people that you know. Yeah. Uh, so when the hundred or so uh, employees pleaded that diversity mm -hmm. is our strength and diversity includes political diversity, not just uh, uh, melanin content in the skin, the... Uh, they spurred a uh, a counter revolt. Is that right? Yeah, according to the New York, according to the New York Times, which wrote this, which wrote this up, uh, there were people within Facebook who then complained, saying that the existence of a of an advocacy faction for not necessarily for right of center views, but just for acceptance or toleration or pluralism with respect to right of center views, uh, that that was somehow offensive to minorities. And how did the company react? Uh, the company actually reacted well. Uh, the company said that no, they haven't violated our pro they haven't violated our processes. This is as of the New York Times reporting yesterday. They hadn't violated our processes. They haven't done anything. Uh, they hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, therefore, they're allowed to keep doing this. Uh, now, there is because everything comes back to employment law. A little asterisk with that. Even if you don't have a union even if you're not a unionized workplace, you have rights under the National Labor Relations Act to protected concerted activity, which means that if you and at least one of your coworkers wish to engage in certain protected activities, among them advocacy, within the company for better wages or working conditions, you there are restrictions on the extent to which your employer can retaliate against you, even if you don't have a union. And to the extent that these, again, okay, we got 100, that's more than one, check, it's concerted, to the extent that they're advocating for better working conditions, and of course, this would have to be adjudicated, you know, if, if, if Facebook decided to retaliate, this would be litigated probably before a National Labor Relations Board panel. 
would have to decide whether that advocacy was concerning wages and working conditions, or in this case, working conditions. And if it was, then it might be protected. The other, of course, charming thing about that is that normally our friends on the left who uh, hint, hint, campaign finance reformers <laughs> scoop up massive sums of money from unions, uh, they might have a hard time attacking it's, it's, it's a group a, of workers. It's a very it's a very interesting situation that kind of flips, you know, the normal, of course, you know, is that the uh, center-right believes that usually the company is correct and the left usually believes that the unionized employees are correct. Uh, even the non-unionized employees uh, in recent years with things like the Fight for 15, uh, our, uh, our Walmart campaign, uh, the unions have realizing that people don't want to join unions anymore, has tried to do independent advocacy and advocate these. Uh, in fact, the Obama Labor Department did a public relations campaign on non-union Section 7 rights to protected concerted activity. Uh, so, Plus, in, just in its regular union organizing, the unions now will often try for the sort of micro-unions. Like, we can't, right. we can't unionize Macy's, but we've got the right. folks we selling can, cosmetics. We can unionize the cosmetic salespeople, and that's all being litigated in the labor board and is a, and is a thing for another time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, it's, it's, de it's definitely a, a, uh, a fascinating uh, legal question. Now, uh, we'd mentioned earlier at Google, uh, James Damore's uh, complaint, one thing he had was he was, o he was only one person. He was only one guy, so it wasn't... It, he, he, I think he ended up failing on both thresholds. It was neither protected activity on working conditions, nor was it concerted. Uh, yeah, so he didn't a, have other folks he, with because him, he didn't and he was have, more political than was working more, yeah, conditions. Yeah, it was more political than working conditions, and that, I think, is why ultimately a, uh, a National Labor Relations Board judge said, nah. So that did make it to the National Labor Relations Board. I uh, made it to the National Labor Relations Board system there. You have, before you get to the board, the five guys in Washington, uh, you have the administrative law judges who are lawyers who work for the labor board who try to apply the labor board, the precedents from the five guys in Washington. Uh, so it went before an administrative law judge, and the administrative law judge ruled in favor of the company, uh, and I think they appealed, and it didn't didn't succeed. Ah, well, that's interesting in itself, and it and it makes one wonder whether the perhaps the Facebook employees, having seen that example, having seen that example, may have may have figured out that you know you need two. <laughs> yes, let's have more, and let's and let's and let's focus uh, and let's and let's focus on on working conditions rather than on theories about the sexes. <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, uh, anybody who's, who is for the underdog uh, is likely to have some sympathy for folks complaining about these gigantic tech monopolies, because that is part of the, the issue that involves, and this is their, uh, their, if not legally protected monopolies, they're sort of, they're effectively monopolies de facto. But uh, there's another M word that we need to get into the discussion besides monopoly, and that's mobs. So mobs also figure uh, in in these controversies over uh, the high tech companies and speech. Um, let's why don't we start um, with some of the the left wing issues like that. Uh, one of the right's greatest complaints um, about Facebook is that it's uh, supposedly biased in favor of the left. Um, but you mentioned, uh, I believe earlier, that one of the uh, one of the folks criticizing Facebook this past year has been a prominent 
uh, leader on the, the left. The prominentest uh, uh, lefty big donor of them all, uh, George Soros. Uh, now, I'm sure that his focus on Facebook has nothing to do with the fact that uh, uh, the U.S. Justice Department and U.S. intelligence believe that foreign actors were using Facebook to distribute uh, propaganda in the 2016 elections. Um, but whether it is because of uh, partisan interest or, be, or from ideological opposition to monopoly, uh, Soros gave a speech at the at uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, the when all the all the big rich guys and all the politicians go to go to Switzerland and talk about how wonderful they are for a week. Um, and he proposed that the big tech companies, Facebook and Google, uh, specifically needed to be regulated as public utilities and broken up uh, into their into their constituent parts as monopolies. Um, if you remember net neutrality debates, we discussed that on one of our earlier, uh, one of our earlier shows, you will recall that the Federal Communications Commission under Barack Obama, or during the Obama administration, uh, used public utility regulation, the same, re the same regulation for your landline telephone to take control of the internet service providers. Now, change of administration, change of policy, that has now been repealed. Uh, but that, to, to great criticism from the left, including many to, to groups great, receiving big many, checks from yeah, George Soros. Uh, yeah, they wanted to keep the public utility <laughs> regulation in place. Now, who was one of the companies that was interested in public utility regulating the internet service providers as public utilities? Google. It was Google. Uh, also, most of the content, most of the content companies. Netflix was another big one. Um, so. You know, there, there's a there's a a, um, a precedent on the left for using public utility, trying to use public utility regulation to gain control, uh, and even to a greater degree than they already have it, of these. Uh, you know, whether it's the suppliers of internet, the people who have the people who own the pipes, or now the people who control the stuff going through the pipes. Uh, yes, which Facebook and Google uh, are pretty massive, are substantially involved, involved in that. Yeah, well, I, I want to make two quick points on that. And one is that, uh, obviously, at Influence Watch, uh, InfluenceWatch.org, we're constantly talking about the big influencers and special interests and the rest. And uh, one of the annoying things to me about the left is that they loved that, you know, they don't really like business uh, as, a, as a prejudice. So they're always attacking business. And on something like a net neutrality, they will jump on businesses and say, We're, we've got to do this because we've got to throttle these dangerous, bad businesses with this regulation, when in fact, of course, an honest uh, look at the full policy involved is, hey, there's a bunch of businesses right. that want this regulation, and there's a bunch right. of businesses, there businesses that don't, businesses who are hurt and you by are it, who simply, don't want it. You there are businesses picking, who are helped by it who want it. Yes. And what you're ultimately doing is deciding between two factions of, of businesses. Of business. You you are not remotely anti-business. You're some business against right. other businesses. You're pro-businesses so. who give you campaign contributions. Yes, so that's uh, that's an important thing. The other the other important thing to me is that it it since the rise of, of Barack Obama, it has always baffled me how young people think uh, that you know, he was sold as hope and change and it's all new and wonderful when in fact, 
because net neutrality was one of the m- biggest things he wanted. And yeah. by the way, we, that's quite a, in itself, quite an amazingly dirty go watch, story. Go watch our show on that. <laughs> but, but yeah, go, 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 go see the full net neutrality show. Cause there's all kinds of dirty machinations involved in that. But, uh, th- Again, just on the face of it, you have this obvious thing. We're going to take the internet, this wonderful 21st century, wild west, freedom, make your own thing. And we're going to regulate it like 1930s telephones. Yes, and it's going to be regulated like AT&T's phone company monopoly in 1930. That does not strike me as a wonderfully futuristic, uh, glorious future. But uh, anyway, let's, uh, and then now I, I, I lie, I have a third point, which is that it it is interesting that Soros is, is harshly criticizing Facebook and, all, and also calling for regulations of public utility. Now, I confess if one were cynical about uh, Mr. Soros, as I've, I, I, a few of my acquaintances are, you might wonder, well, he looks like a great guy by criticizing them, but on the other hand, if his solution is simply to turn them into a government-regulated utility, then the party of government, the left, may, is, may stand may stand somewhat to benefit. Yeah. Now, far be it for me to say that he might have a point, but when one of the things that he spoke about in his day, in his speech to Davos uh, was he was concerned that. As Google has announced, has said, or it's been reported that Google is trying to work with the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese Communist government to create a product of Google that can be used in China. And one of Soros's concerns was that what is Google doing? What are they giving up? Are they allowing the Chinese Communist Party to weave what was what he described as, quote, a web of totalitarian control in order to gain access to that market. Now, again, I'm not going to agree with Mr. Saros's remedy, but going forward, looking at big tech, the what they are doing to gain access in places like China, I would throw in Iran, Russia, um, Saudi Arabia, uh, other, some of these highly authoritarian dictatorial states and and to what extent that is feeding out into our in the west in the in the open and democratic west our ability to discuss things like the ethnic cleansing probable genocide of the uyghurs in western china or uh you know the demonstrations in iran or the ongoing war in yemen between syrian uh, Saudi proxies and Iranian proxies, um, the crimes of the Russian Federation. Uh, you know, is, are as the tech companies try to get into these countries uh, or expand their operations in these countries, or if these countries know that these platforms are operating and they can threaten to throw them out, are they going? Is is that censorship? Is that government? Um, that government control of information that is practiced in these countries going to start spilling out into the democratic West. Yeah, well, it's a, a, one of my favorite lines from the great libertarian economist uh, Milton Friedman is that one of the worst 
dangers of big government is that it is usually ends up captured by big business. And I or don't it want or it capture or in this case, authoritarian government capturing big business. Big business, yes. The the, the, <laughs> the, the uh the, the the being in bed together is not a great thing. Well, uh Soros put some of his money uh where his mouth is in this when he gave $180,000 to the Open Markets Institute uh, to study how big web platforms could be more tightly regulated. And why don't you tell us this fascinating story behind that? So a couple of years ago, uh, Open Markets Institute was part of a liberal think tank called New America. And among New America's donors was, surprise, surprise, Google. And they, the scholar who would go on to found Open Markets Institute, a gentleman by the name of Barry Lynn, was allegedly, he, he was told by New America that his services were no longer required. He alleged, and many people believe, that people at Google had leaned on people at New America to essentially try to quash him, to, to, uh, cause he had written uh, advocating for very vigorous, very strict antitrust enforcement against Google, which would result in the company being broken up. Yeah. Now, the uh, I have to say here that I don't myself even have a final opinion on it. Would it be? I'm very skeptical about whether these things should be regulated as utilities. I don't really have an opinion on whether they should be broken up using antitrust law because and and the fact that I who am a, a policy wonk and, and deal with this all the time don't have an opinion to me this I mean it's 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 a, it's a pity that the expert on antitrust judge Bork has left us yes, <laughs> um, yes he has gone gone to his reward a great man but the uh, but the um, if I were a right-wing mega donor uh, I think one of the first things that I would want to fund would be uh, either a new think tank or probably better, just a good-sized project within an existing think tank, uh, simply to study this tech issue. I mean, obviously, big tech is not conservatism's friend, and these are not easy, simple issues. Because well, but, I said, you might, but, and you, but you must also be concerned about the impulse to what I call socialism to own the libs, uh, you know, trying to national, nationalize or take control or censor or otherwise restrict these companies just because you don't like them for partisan purposes because it will be turned on your friends in time. Well, that, well, I, I, I agree. So, so to me, it would be valuable. It would be extremely valuable to have a conservative think tank, which, which by the way, should have a diversity of views on these different ideas that that dug into these questions of what would it look like if you tried to break it up? Or are there ways just to adjust the rules to make it easier for new competitors? Or, I mean, there's, there are all kinds of questions Yeah, no, there, and again, don't get me wrong, I favor, I favor such a stuff. Because, again, as we, as we know, you know, if Soros is writing six-figure checks to people to study how the liberals should regulate it, uh, that means that people are studying it. That means yep. that uh, that it will come. And if one of the things uh, that I think we saw in the healthcare debate was that when the uh, center-right got, you know, this issue arises, the center-right hadn't really looked at since the last time the left tried to do major healthcare nationalization in 93-94. In uh, once 
you know, whereas the left had been preparing, this is how we're going to regulate healthcare. These, these are our options to regulate healthcare from, I mean, you could argue 1945, but yes. uh, certainly throughout throughout the period, once it came time, first of all, to then argue about Obamacare. And then even after Obamacare had been enacted, a few years later, when the opportunity arises to repeal or substantially uh, substantially amend Obamacare, there aren't there there are when policymakers went to the ideas industry, uh, there wasn't anything they could pick off the shelf. There wasn't anything they could sell to the public, and so you ended up with a sort of haphazard, clumsy. Uh, sort of haphazard, clumsy bodge that was very easy for the left to attack and very easy for um, the the Democrats in Congress to defeat. Yeah, think, think tanks do play a role, and that means smart donors assisting think tanks do play a role. And by the way, I even have a very specific notion of this, which is the uh, Chris DeMuth at uh, at the Hudson Institute. Uh, he's sort of semi-retired. He, but for twenty years, he was at ran AEI uh, during, including during most of my tenure there. Uh, and he's a regulatory scholar. That's you know, have ha- make him uh, make him uh, work even harder. Buy him, uh, buy him some, buy him some research assistants, and, and let's <laughs> and some and some nice scholars, and have debates on we should do this, no, we should do that, and the rest. But well, let's. Uh, speaking of conservatisms, uh, let's note that. Uh, the conservative or at least Republican-controlled Congress is going to be having hearings next week uh, on some of these things. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, next week, the major tech companies, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, the Facebook, I think, chief operating officer, um, uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, uh, and someone from Alphabet, Google, uh, are going to be called are going to go before Congress to testify on a number of issues. The two that are going to be most prominent in the news are intervention in American elections by foreign powers and the allegations of censorship and bias. Uh, again, we can it's probably pretty easy to figure out which party is going to be interested in which issue. <laughs> yes. The um uh, yeah, in the Twitter especially has been accused of shadow banning uh, conservatives. To explain a little yeah, about what yeah, that Twitter, entails. Yeah, Twitter's situation is kind of interesting because, of course, they get in trouble with the left when they dis- when they elect not to ban uh, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, which is why they got the nasty gram from Senator Wyden. Uh, but they've also been criticized by the right for allegedly hiding conservative users. So if you go into if you go into into Twitter and there's a little search bar where you can look up people. And what a number of prominent conservatives apparently like this applied to a number of uh, journalists from conservative uh, conservative outlets, Daily Caller uh, complained quite a bit about this. Um, it apparently happened to Republican congressmen, uh, Republican party officials. Yeah. Um, so we're not talking. We're not simply talking about the the Alex Jones. Fringe, no, yeah, no, we're, we're not, not talking, talking about we're the. Not, we're not maybe necessarily talking harshest about the things conspiracy- like Breitbart. Yeah, we're it's not talking about just much- conspiracy theorists and you know open you know white race supremacist type people. We're talking mainstream Republicans, mainstream conservatives. Um, that if you typed them into the search bar, you couldn't find them. And you couldn't find their tweets unless they, unless you were following them. So 
this has been alleged to be shadow banning, which is a term from the old forum, the old internet before social media when it was forums, when the administrators of a forum, basically like on Twitter, you can mute someone where someone can yell at you, but you won't hear, you won't be notified that they're doing that. Uh, basically what on the old forums a shadow ban was, was you could, the the administrators could basically mute you, where no one on the forum would see what you're saying, but you would still be yelling, you would still be able to type out what you want, it would look to you like you were posting on the forum. Uh, but nobody was actually going to. Nobody was actually going to see it. Yep. Another. Uh, and so, and sorry, so, yeah. And so, Facebook. And so, I'm sorry, not Facebook. Twitter has said that because you can still follow these people if you can find them and still see what they're saying, that it's not a shadow ban. By this very strict definition, it's not a shadow ban. But what others have said, what other, what critics have said, and uh, what I, what I concur with is that if you are hiding people in this fashion. Uh, by your own actions as the administrator, you are preventing them from fully using the platform. Um, and that that is, if not technically a shadow ban, is tantamount to a shadow ban. Yep. Uh, another prominent uh, critic and complainer is uh, Dennis Prager with the wildly successful PragerU uh, YouTube channel. Uh, he has some gripes as well, I believe. He has... Uh, uh, Prager, Prager and PragerU have com have complained that Facebook appears to be preventing them from allowing their videos to be seen. Now, they then when when they started complaining about it, Facebook naturally made it all work normally again. Uh, but this, uh, they have they have criticized Facebook pretty pretty stringently. Yeah, and they have a big media megaphone. Whereas if if Facebook were doing this to smaller operators couldn't get the same kind of right. megaphone, it'd be, it'd be an issue. I, sh I should, uh, in this context, I want to be sure to point out that Capital Research Center, uh, which uh, and Jake Klein, our, our film producer, who also produces this podcast, we have had experiences like this. Um, the, uh, the most recent, I think, was we had, a, uh, we had a video that simply gave a short version of our research about Democratic Party operatives that may, uh, well, that appear to have perhaps violated laws and when this was uh, made public were instantly dropped uh, from the Democratic Party's payroll. And then going further back, we have the most galling of the instances that we, we've had to complain about, and this involved YouTube. Um, again, the producer of this podcast and of our, of our uh, films and videos for Capital Research Center, uh, Jake Klein, he did an, a short video attacking identity politics. The very first word in the title was right. It said uh, right and left video, uh, identity politics are bad. And, this, and a good chunk of the video was Martin Luther King Jr. himself speaking in his most famous speech, uh, against uh, racism, and yet it was blocked by YouTube uh, in U the UK and 27 other countries. You couldn't see it at all, uh, and in the United States you could see it, but it was sort of in it was in the prison thing yeah, where yeah, where you have to go behind the dark log, curtain, you have to be logged in, you, have you know, to like be it's in the old days of the of the old dirty movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. Warning, and, warning, warning, warning. This contains. Yeah, you can't you can't make comments on it. We couldn't advertise it, and 
Uh, now, obviously, you can always say, oh, well, you know, it's just those algorithms. They're mindless, you know, mindless electrons just yeah, bouncing against Prager you. Prager tweeted yesterday that they that theirs was blocked by a human. Well, well, this is it. <laughs> Ours may originally have been blocked by an algorithm, maybe, but we are. But it went through manual reviews, and they continued to uphold the preposterous idea that this explicit attack on extremism from every side uh, itself was an ugly, hateful, extremist thing. And you know, the fascinating coincidence is that when Fox News called up YouTube to inquire about why its humans continued to do this. Wham! Gone from Magically prison. Magically fixed. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, so, next week in Congress when they have the hearings, we know there'll be liars on the p- p- politician side of the room, <laughs> and it would appear that there will be liars we'll to, on we'll the... Have to, we'll have to see what they say on the other side of other the... Other side of the room, yes. But um, uh, on... So, well, we, we, we should be we should start to, to, to wrap up here. Uh, Long term solutions are not quick and easy on this, but I know which is, which is which is why, as we discussed earlier, some very rich some very rich right wing guys should hire some very smart people to figure out what those to, to think what, for what those. Uh, um, but one easy thing, of course, is that you know to the extent that con- if conservatisms are going to complain about the company policies, and we certainly should, as I said, we ourselves and everybody else that I know on the conservative side has has. Uh, serious gripes. Um, one of the solutions for bad policy, you know, bad policy is better personnel because personnel are policy. So, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, the the biggest problem uh, for con- one of one of the biggest problems for people who are trying to espouse uh, conser- conservative viewpoints is the what David French of National Review has called the internal mob. Of employees at a place, you know, again, why does uh, editorialist Sarah Sarah Jong, who wrote very nasty things about um, about white Americans on her Twitter feed, why does she still have a job? And Kevin Williamson, who said uh, uh, who espoused pro life beliefs in an impolitic fashion, why did he have to go back to National Review? Uh, and the answer is, it was the internal. It, you know, Williamson, there was an internal revolt of employees at the Atlantic, whereas Jong had the support of the of the employees at, at the New York Times. And where, you know, if the advantage to getting, uh, you know, competent, qualified, interested, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say everybody needs to become a computer programmer because I'm not a computer programmer. Uh, but if you are a center-right person and you're so inclined that way, you know, absolutely get a job at, you know, try to get a job at Facebook, Google, whatever. So that, like these hundred uh, Facebookers for political diversity, that you can resist the internal mob and, um, you know, and show uh, that, you know, that, that there is an advantage to pluralism rather than uh, rather than monoculture. Yep. And then, of course, the other big long-term solution, which ought to be something congenial to conservatives who who love business and entrepreneurship, is be entrepreneurial uh, and try to start uh, uh, yeah. uh, competitors. Now, that's enormously difficult. That's hard. <laughs> but, but I'm so old, I can remember MySpace. 
I and my, I, I'm not even am, sure it exists. I am familiar. I am yes. I have uh, heard of. I have heard of MySpace. No, there is yeah. <laughs> a. Uh, if you, if you know, and and again, there have been you know failures and kooks, and you know there have been you know attempts to rival Twitter that have been taken over by Nazis, and then you go, well, that failed. Um, but you know, at at some point, if they get if they crack down enough that people really get angry then yeah maybe you have a place where a competitor can where a competitor can rise where a competitor can uh, can in, can intervene yeah uh, rupert murdoch put his billions behind fox news and that made some significant difference in uh the television world so sure yeah now they um there's all they they uh, i think it was what is it roger ailes uh you know my i found a niche it was half the country you know i'm there if you if you know, only, you know, three to seven million people watch cable news on any given night, but many ten, you know, many millions, many tens of millions use social media platforms. And if they decide that they're going to say that, you know, 62 million of the 120 million America or 128 million Americans are not, you know, of voting, um, a voting disposition are not welcome. That's a very large market to serve. Yes. Exactly. Well, that is our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version of this podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays, Facebook Live, and YouTube. And you can find our pages by searching for Capital Research Center. Uh, on the other hand, if you're watching the video version, we want to encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week. <laughs>